Dear loving Heavenly Father, Lord most gracious and highly compassionate, thank you Lord for yet another Wednesday night, Lord. Thank you for who you are, thank you for what you've done on the cross for us. Lord, thank you that we gather here to worship you, to adore you in spirit and in truth for that same reason, Lord. Thank you for lavishing your grace and mercy upon us each day. Lord, I, I pray that you would be with us tonight. just want to thank you for your word. The word is, is, is a lantern to our feet. Lord, it's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. That I pray that you would pierce your word into our hearts tonight and help us to gaze upon your throne and, and learn more about you in, in, in a deeper level. I pray that you would be with cross as he speaks. Um, bless this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Jason. At this time, I'd like to have Daniel Johnson come and do our scripture reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Daniel? 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 11. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. No one says, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God, who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one, the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Our triune God, we thank you for who you are as Father, Son, and Spirit. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here to dwell among us, to fill every one of us up. Thank you for the gifts that you have given us and that you've apportioned as you are pleased to do so. God, would you help us to be informed of um, how our church functions, but Lord, also the gifts that you have given each and every one of us who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, born again in the Spirit. God, would you teach us tonight how to steward those gifts well? as you are calling us to do so, as the body of believers um, ministering to one another as well as uh, to, to the world abroad for your namesake and for your glory and for, for our good. God, would you bless us in this gathering tonight? May we worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Over the course of the last two weeks, I've begun each sermon uh, with a part of my story. Um, 
I've shared with you how I came to saving faith in Jesus Christ and joined uh, what we call the Capital C Church. I've also shared how I was baptized years later and joined a local church. And I'd like to begin tonight with how I became a late leader of our local church. I'd like uh, to tell you a little bit about how I came to be in this role in particular. Uh, I was saved at nine years old, and I was baptized at 17. Uh, But it wasn't until I was 20, a sophomore in college, that I began to lead out in the church. My faith was tested as a college freshman. Uh, Did I actually believe what I said I believed? I dabbled in sin that, if others saw it, would make them question where my allegiance lied. I tried out the party life and was left wanting. No drink made me bold enough. No relationship made me whole enough. I struggled to see where I belonged. Old friends went down a path that I couldn't follow, and new friends were just as lost as the old friends. I realized that I needed a community that could help me. I was invited to help produce promotional videos for the college ministry here at Bellevue. A friend from high school knew that I was pursuing a film degree and had seen one of my videos when he asked for help with some videos he was trying to make. I joined him for a prayer meeting with other college students, and I had never been a part of anything like it. Every person went around the table and prayed until eventually, closer and closer, it came to me. What was I to say? I didn't know any of these people. I I knew how to pray, but not in front of others, right? Well, I uttered a few words, and I, I thought that they might please God, and I said, amen. But here was a group that I could belong to. I felt challenged, yet emboldened in my faith. Here were people I could contribute my gifts to and receive some spiritual benefit in return. So I kept making videos for the ministry, hearing sermons applied to me specifically as a college student, stuck to a Bible reading plan for the first time, and was held accountable by my brothers in Christ and pushed to share my faith at the University of Memphis campus. I kept that up for a few years until I graduated with that film degree, and there was nothing waiting for me on the other side. There was no job. One promising opportunity after another fell completely flat. So I struggled with unemployment for six months, and then I had a conversation with my college pastor at the time who said this, I know you used to work at a daycare with preteens. Have you considered working at the church with the fourth and fifth grade ministry? I hadn't considered it. I didn't know how to work for a church, but I did know how to hang out with kids and have fun playing games with them. Maybe this would help me as I look for film opportunities along the way. (laughs) Six months into that job, And I saw myself doing it for the rest of my life. 
I enjoyed being with these kids, helping them through their own little crises and teaching them what little Bible I knew at the time. So I stuck around for three more years. And during that time, I saw the Holy Spirit grow in me the spiritual gifts of shepherding, teaching, and preaching. As I saw those gifts grow, I sensed that the Lord was calling me to the pastorate. So I left my home, my family, and my friends to be theologically trained to be a pastor. As my time at seminary up in Louisville, Kentucky drew to a close, I began to pray more about where and who I would pastor. I wanted to make that decision at, from a place of stability at home rather than away from home and out of desperation. And no more than a week after I made that decision to come home did I get a call from the next-gen pastor, Jay Stevenson, who called and asked, uh, hey, I would love to talk sometime. Uh, would you have time to see how we could potentially partner in ministry? And one conversation led to another as I found my way not only coming back home, but coming back to my sending church. I was excited to return home. I was excited to come back to Bellevue and reinvest, reinvest my gifts here. So January 2nd of 2020, I became the young adults pastor. A year later, I would be ordained as a minister of the gospel by God through the membership at Bellevue Baptist Church. And several of you were present at that ceremony. Here I am, by the grace of God, leading his young adults, utilizing the spiritual gifts he has given me in the biblical role of pastor to equip young adults for the work of the ministry. Here we are, functioning precisely the way God has designed his church to function. And that's the question we look to answer tonight. How does our church function? Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to be your people. That, God, we get to belong to your church. So, God, would you help us to see how exactly you have designed your church to function and how we can get in on that design and live according to that, aligned together for the sake of the gospel. Would you bless us tonight, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. How does our church function? Well, to review, we have to figure out what do we mean by that word church? Uh, there's a couple of different meanings we could have about that word church. Uh, one, uh, church the building, right? Have you ever been a part of that family that's getting ready on a Sunday morning? We, we got to go to church, right? The church, the building, right? They're thinking geographically. Or church the nonprofit. I put on my taxes that we give to our church, right? The government sees us as a nonprofit. But then we get into what does Jesus call the church? That's what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. 
the universal church or the Catholic church, not the Roman Catholic church, but the church throughout all ages and places accumulated at the end when Jesus returns. For example, Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church. And then finally, a local church, a local church. For example, Bellevue Baptist Church is a local church that meets on Sundays at 9.15 a.m. and 11 o'clock a.m. at 2000 Appling Road in Cordova, Tennessee, zip code 38016. When we ask the question, how does our church function, we mean to say, how does our local church function? And the short one-word answer is biblically. But that has some explaining, doesn't it? Um, here's our outline for this evening as we look to show you from the Bible how we as a local church function. First, our church is led by pastors. Second, our church is served by deacons. Third, our church is ruled by the congregation. And fourth, our church is gifted by the Holy Spirit. We are led by pastors, served by deacons, ruled by the congregation, and gifted by the Holy Spirit. That's our outline for this evening. First, we are pastor-led. We are pastor-led. We see the qualifications of the pastor in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The qualifications of a pastor or overseer, as we'll see the word used, um, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7, through 7, say this, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, that is pastor, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Um, if you're looking, how do I apply this passage to myself? Um, I think these are qualifications that anybody would say are valuable in any leader of the church. So that could be one way. I think these are good qualifications to have in mind for any leader in the church, but especially of our pastors. There are a few different words we use in English to get this, at the same role or office of pastor or what we see overseer. There's also elder, uh, bishop, and shepherd. All could be used interchangeably. And at the core of their job, pastors are to tend to the church's members like shepherds tend to their sheep. Pastors are under-shepherds who serve the good shepherd, Jesus, 
by leading his sheep. There are two implications for this. First, pastors are to engage in relationships with church members. But secondly, pastors are to minister with the goal of growing church members in in spiritual maturity. My primary responsibility is not to manage this ministry. It is to care for each person's soul as they are made more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. I don't know what you think my job is, but I'm not stowed away up in my office just studying the Bible all day. It is my joy to be present with each of you and all of you to hear how you are progressing in your walk with Christ, to challenge you to grow in certain areas of your life and to counsel you where you're struggling and you have questions. That's why I'm here, to lead you and to shepherd you, single adults in their 20s and 30s. Peter tells us how I am to shepherd you in 1 Peter chapter 5. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, uh, Peter says this, So I exhort the elders, pastors among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's important to note that I am a pastor who submits to the authority of other pastors. I mentioned to you the next-gen pastor, Jay Stevenson. He's my boss, and he has bosses. I'm just as pastor-led as you are. I am one under authority, just like you. And at the top is Brother Steve, our lead pastor. He leads us through the ministry of the Word and the gathering of the saints on the Lord's day as he administers the gospel week in and week out, telling us the good news of Jesus Christ and how it has implications for our lives. That's what he does to lead the church. And he has surrounded himself with gifted men who help him make decisions within his authority that involve the church's mission and its vision and how that is executed. And he needs your prayers. He needs your prayers because it's a scary time to be at the top right now. Pray for our pastors 
as they lead us through these trying times and listen to them as they look to lead us well. We are pastor-led. But secondly, we are deacon-served. We are deacon-served. We see the office of deacon established early on in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 6. An issue arose in the church of Jerusalem. Uh, The Greek-speaking Jews had a complaint against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. Uh, Scripture tells us in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, how the issue was resolved. Uh, Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 say this, Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, that's the Greek-speaking Jews, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord was able to increase because the apostles, or pastors at the time, were able to focus on the ministry of the word and prayer. All thanks to seven men of good repute that were chosen to handle an issue that arose in the church. And we can kind of be comforted that even the early church had problems. And their solution was to raise up godly men full of the Spirit to handle those problems. I'm grateful to God for our deacons at Bellevue. They serve us in so many ways, and most of the time you don't know who they are and you don't know what they're doing. We have several deacons serving in our ministry. They help me by following my direction for what to teach in our life groups. But not all deacons teach. In fact, uh, right after the qualifications for overseers or pastors in 1 Timothy 3, uh, Paul gives the qualifications for deacons. Um, And we won't take time to read that because, to be honest, they are much of the same qualifications except that overseers must be able to teach, whereas the same is not said of deacons. So what do our deacons do? How do they serve us? Deacons serve the church by doing what the pastors cannot. That's just an an easy summary statement for what deacons can and should do in the church. They serve the church by doing what the pastors cannot. So our deacons, they serve by going on hospital visits. 
visiting the homebound members of the church, focusing on ministry to widows in the church, and filling in wherever they're needed. These aren't men who you can just boss around. These are men who you don't need to boss around because they find a need and they meet it. They find a hurt and they heal it. We are deacon served. We are pastor led, deacon served. But what about us? You may be thinking. We are congregation ruled. Congregation ruled. You may ask, where do I fit into this mix? Well, if you are a member of our church, then you have a voice that stands out in a sea of voices. Our collective minds consider the things of God and make decisions as a local body of believers. Uh, And we saw this last week from our main passage in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Uh, We will read that again. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, the ecclesia, the the assembly. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. We saw from this passage last week uh, that in passing, what a local church looks like and does. Um, So to number those off, uh, a local church is a group of Christians, a regular gathering. There is a congregation-wide exercise of affirmation and oversight, and their purpose is to represent Christ and his rule on earth. We looked at that last week. Uh, We see this most clearly in our local church during uh, business meetings, which are tacked on at the end of uh, worship services from time to time. Uh, The fact that we have business meetings shows that the office of pastor is not able to make all the decisions. As articulated in our church's bylaws, some of the most meaningful decisions have to go before the congregation and put to a vote. And so here's a few in particular. Um, Our annual spending budget must be approved by the congregation. Prospects for membership must be approved by the congregation. And then when the church eventually needs a new lead pastor, he must be approved by the congregation. These are just a few examples of how our, we are congregation ruled. The church's membership gets the final say in these matters. We are pastor-led, deacon-served, and congregation-ruled, but you're still wondering, Pastor, what do I do? I'm glad you asked. Last but not least, our church is spirit-gifted. spirit gifted. Uh, Daniel read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
earlier about how there are varieties of gifts given by the same Spirit. Each of us who are born-again believers in Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit, the third person of our triune God, living and dwelling within us, for that passage says, for the common good. Paul continues, he says in verse 11, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. In other words, some of us are more gifted than others. Some of us have more significant gifts than others. That doesn't mean that we get boastful or that we feel miserable. We are all members of the same body. Paul continues. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's a longer passage, but we're going to look at that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 31. Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. God the Father 
has made for himself a people to call his own through the saving work of Jesus Christ. He has empowered those people who have repented of their sins and believed savingly upon the gospel. He has empowered them with his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has gifted these people so that they can care for one another and contribute to the overall health of the body. No one is more important than the other. Although some have more gifts or different gifts that are utilized more often, we all need each other. And that is how God has designed it. We need your gifts. But we have to know what some of the most common gifts are. So very quickly, here are some spiritual gifts we find in the church. First, administration. Administration. Those who are goal and objective oriented, strong in organization and coordinate resources in order to accomplish tasks quickly and efficiently. They derive great satisfaction from viewing the results of what was accomplished. Administration. Second, exhortation. Those who have a special ability to encourage other believers by giving them needed words of comfort, courage, and counsel at times of need or crisis. They are especially drawn to those who are genuinely seeking spiritual growth, willing to share past failures to motivate others toward greater spiritual maturity. Exhortation. Another one, giving. Giving. Those who have the ability to give material goods and financial resources with joy so that the needs of the Lord's work are met. They can discern wise investments and are very effective money managers while desiring to give quietly without recognition. Giving. And then mercy. Those who have immediate compassion for those suffering physically, mentally, or emotionally as they draw out the feelings of others while also being vulnerable to hurts. They derive great joy in meeting the needs of others and tend to the draw people who are in distress to themselves. Mercy. Prophecy. Those who have the ability to proclaim God's truth without compromise, expressing themselves verbally, especially regarding right and wrong. They make quick uh, they, they may be quick to make judgments of others and to speak their opinion because they have strong convictions and expect others to as well. Service. Those who have the ability to perform with joy any task which benefits others and meets practical needs, often sacrificing personal health or comfort to serve others. They have good attention to detail and appreciate having clear instructions to follow. And then finally, teaching. Teaching, those who have the ability to explain God's truth so there is understanding and application in the lives of others. They desire to research and present truth in an organized and systematic sequence because they enjoy learning and sharing that knowledge with others so the church can grow and be faithful. These are some common church, uh, spiritual gifts we see in the, the church. And isn't, it's important to note that gifts can ebb and flow. Because the Holy Spirit, He is alive within us. Our, our gifts can change. They can grow. They can be utilized in some seasons more than others. 
All that is expected of us is that we learn what they are and steward them well. As I shared with you, my gift of my gifts of shepherding, teaching, and preaching, they, they grew over time. Before that, I was really gifted in the area of service. Just put me where anywhere and tell me what to do very clearly, and I'll do it. And that was my attitude, and the Lord mobilized me. I had a camera and some editing software. I was told to make videos, so I made videos to the glory of God until he cultivated different gifts within me. He utilized what I had to offer, got me to where I needed to be, then grew in me different gifts for a defined role in his church. What could he be doing in you? What could he be doing through you? What gift is he cultivating in you in this season of life? Let's find out together. As one body with many members, let's see how exactly our church functions.